0: Our subject this morning is the joy of humility. You'll notice in your bulletin outline the statement, humility is the one virtue all of us need but none of us have. I think that's a true statement. If you look in our text, James 4, you will discover that nothing of humility was to be found among James readers. He tells us that there were fights and quarrels among them. Verse 1. This was an outward expression of an internal sinful desires. He calls it the battle within. Also verse 1. They're fighting with one another because of the battle within. Well, it would have been good if these inner battles stayed there, but they didn't stay there. They erupted into the outward dealings within the church. The prayer meeting was a gimme session full of covetousness and selfish requests. And if that were not bad enough, the request had nothing to do with a desire for holiness of life or a concern for other people, but rather a grab session to get as much to gratify their lusts for pleasure as possible. Verse three, adultery and friendship with the world, just to name two things. Now just think about this. Think of how askew their thinking had to be to think that God would hear such prayers. Worse, that He would actually answer such prayers. One wonders out loud, did these people really know Jesus as Savior? You know, James is wondering that too. Look at verse 5. Do you think scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? I think the word spirit should be capitalized in our text. In my view, it indicates the presence of the Holy Spirit and how he longs to have full sway in our otherwise greedy, selfish, and prideful lives. James is looking for humility, which the spirit of God brings Into a person's life, but it's nowhere to be found in his congregation. What is missing, maybe altogether, is grace. Look at verse 6. He, God, gives us more grace. That's what we need, you see. And that is why the scripture says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Want more grace? We need more grace. It gives grace to the humble. It goes on, submit yourselves then to God. He goes on again, resist the devil. It goes on again, come near to God. These are all commands that are given here. Submit, resist, come near. Now, if this pe- if these people are true believers, they are far away from God. A distance created by their own pride, by their own pride. He tells us God opposes the proud. That's the explanation as to why James hearers pray wrong prayers and why God doesn't answer those prayers. He's never going to answer those lustful, selfish, self-absorbed prayers. God is not the candy man in the sky, poised to dribble chocolate fudge on your otherwise bitter requests. God's character is such that He cannot, He cannot abide pride. No, He opposes pride. More, He's determined to humble the proud. In Isaiah 13, the Lord prophesies against Babylon. And here's what He says. I will punish the world for its evil... The wicked for their sins. I will put an end to the arrogance of the haughty and will humble the pride of the ruthless. Therefore I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will shake from its place at the wrath of the Lord Almighty in the day of His burning anger. See, I will stir up against them the medes who do not care for silver and have no delight in gold. Their bows will strike down the young men. They will have no mercy on infants, nor will they look with compassion on children. Babylon, the jewel of kingdoms, the glory of the Babylonian pride will be overthrown by God like Sodom and Gomorrah. Isaiah 13, verse 11 through 19. You can see how God sets himself. Here it's against a nation, uh, that is very proud and arrogant. Years later, Isaiah prophesied a similar fate for Tyre and for the same reason. Who planned this against Tyre, he writes. The bestower of crowns, those merchants, are princes, whose traders are renowned in the earth. The Lord Almighty planned it. To bring low the pride of all glory and to humble all who are renowned on the earth. The Lord has stretched out His hand over the sea and made, it, made its kingdoms tremble. Look at the land of the Babylonians, this people that is now of no account. The Assyrians have made it a place for desert creatures. They raised up their siege towers. They stripped its fortress to despair and turned it into ruin. Wail, you ships of Tarshish, your fortress is destroyed. Isaiah 23, verse 8 and following. And succinctly, Isaiah is saying, Hey, Tyre, take a look at Babylon. See what God did to Babylon with the Assyrians when they came in? He's going to do it with you because you're just as proud and you're just as arrogant. Oh yeah, you have your merchant ships. If you look on a map, you'll see the tires right on the seacoast. Very much known for its trade, for its merchants. Now in similar fashion, God did this with Pharaoh of Egypt. Saying, so Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said to them, this is what the Lord says, the God of the Hebrews. How long will you refuse to humble yourself? before me, let my people go so that they may worship me. Exodus 10 verse three, you remember when Moses and Aaron first went to Pharaoh, he says, I do not know the Lord that I should obey him and I will not let your people go. You know, he was flexing his muscles. And so the plagues that God brought upon Egypt, all 10 of them, not only was directed towards the gods, the false idols of Egypt, but against Pharaoh and his arrogance because he hardened his heart, the scripture says, and he, we would say he doubled down and he just decided, I don't care what you do to me, I'm not letting the people go. So bring on the flies and bring on the frogs and br- bring on whatever you want to bring on. I'm not letting them go. This is Pharaoh you're talking to here. I don't know God and I'm not doing what he has to say to me. Well, he did. Eventually, because God knows how to humble the proud. Now Pharaoh's problem became Nebuchadnezzar's problem. And Nebuchadnezzar's problem became that of Darius the Mede. And Darius the Mede's problem became that of Cyrus the Persian. And later of Alexander the Great. The problem of inordinate pride. These were all kings, and they were not about to bow to God. Their sin was the first sin of Satan in his revolt against God in heaven. The scripture says, Now you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. You have cast, been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mountain of the assembly, on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Isaiah 14, verse 12 through 14. And that was Satan's declaration of independence. But it was all based on pride. This was precisely the nature of his temptation to Eve, if you will remember. For God knows that when you eat of it, the forbidden fruit, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Genesis 3 verse 5. Well, to be like God was too much for Eve to resist. Scripture says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eyes and also desirable for gaining wisdom... She took some and ate it, and also gave it to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Genesis 3, verse 6. Satan's sin propagated in the human race. I will be like the Most High. Well, you know, if you eat this fruit, you'll be God. You can be God. Oh, I can be God? Yeah. Master of your own destiny. Wow, this is cool. Satan asserted that he would make himself like the Most High, and Eve was promised the same lie, and Adam with her. And yet all of them, all of them were brought low. You see, pride has no place in the heart of creatures over the Creator. That's why evolutionists fight so, so hard for evolution. If we evolve from a protoplasm, from an amoeba or whatever and we're on the top of the food chain, so to speak, I'm not going to submit to no amoeba under me. And if I can shoot a lion, that's on the picture of the new Acts and facts here. What a beautiful picture. But if I can put a bullet between his brain and put between his eyes into his brain, I'm not going to submit to him. If a creature is superior to whatever's below it, there's no submission. So they fight against creation. Evolutionists are opposed to the creation concept which the Bible portrays. If there is a creator, then it becomes obvious we are his creatures and creatures must be submissive to the creator. But if there is no creator, if it's evolution, then man is the crowning achievement. It is unnatural that the clay pot should talk back to the potter. Why did you make me like this? Romans 9 verse 20. And that's what man is always doing. Why did you make me like this? And in the next verse, verse 21 of Romans 9. Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for noble purposes and some for common use? It's up to the creator. You see, pride is irrational. Pride puffs up. It pats us on the back. It brags. It boasts. It attempts to make giants out of midgets and wise men out of fools. It inflates reality. It makes men feel like... They are kings when they are peasants. Like they are somebodies (laughs) when they are nobodies. God is the only one in the universe who is justified in being proud. And yet, and yet, as we shall see later, his chief posture is humility. And in that, in that, he rebukes us and at the same time models the character trait he most admires, the humility that we all need but none of us have in our natural state. So we are in a world of hurt. Mankind is full of arrogance and pride, not only towards one another, but firstly and foremost in reference to God, his creator. Now, secondly, Humility is the prerequisite of salvation. It's the gift of God. It's fair to say that it is pride which keeps people from coming to God in faith. Why would the proud come to God? Just think about that. They are self-sufficient. They need nothing that their own minds cannot conceive and their own hands cannot build. Oh, if they are a team player, they may acknowledge the need for cooperation, camaraderie, dialogue, interaction from co-workers. But in the end, they believe man by himself or working with other human beings can solve all the problems of the world. If they just put their minds to it. All that is needed is human ingenuity, but we certainly do not need supernatural intervention and revelation from God. Education is the only God we need. We can figure it out. Jesus confronted this prideful spirit when he told the rich man who had just boasted about keeping all of the Ten Commandments from his youth up. Here's what Jesus said you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. And when he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, Who then can be saved? And Jesus replied, What is impossible with men is possible with God. Luke 18, verse 22 through 27. Now you see, this man prided himself in his alleged obedience To the law of God. He saw in himself no deficiency. He didn't see any sin. He didn't see any shortcoming. He had pulled himself up in society by his own financial prowess. No one gave him anything. He earned every penny he possessed. Now this Jesus character has burst his bubble. He has informed him that his material holdings are holding him back from faith in God. Faith to rely on the righteousness of another, namely Jesus himself. Faith to repent of his greed. Boy, he loved his things and his pride. And thus gain the kingdom of God. Jesus was saying, you got to ditch your pride. You think you don't need anything. You you think you don't need me. You got money to burn. You think you're okay, right where you're at. But the young entrepreneur could not do it. He could not do it. He could not sell his possessions, give the proceeds to the poor, and gain treasures in heaven. Follow Christ. He could not do it. It's easier for a camel to squeeze through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to humble himself And enter the kingdom of God on God's terms. You see, his God was his money. And his ability to make money. But his money was no good with God, who owns the world and the universe. Money impresses proud men, but it does not impress God. On another occasion, Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Matthew 6, verse 24. And that's why I said of this young businessman that he could not, he just could not sell his holdings, distribute the proceeds, and follow Christ. Money was his real God, and covetousness was his damning sin. By the way, that's commandment number 10 in the Decalogue of the Ten Commandments. He has said, All these I've kept from my youth up, da, 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 da. One to nine. Yeah. He was boasting. And Jesus says, Ah, there's a commandment you haven't kept. It's the commandment number 10. The commandment, Thou shalt not covet. Now before we become too self-righteous here, the people in the audience that day asked the right question of Jesus when they said, Who then can be saved? It's a great question. It shows that they were paying attention. Luke 18 verse 26. They were responding to Jesus' statement, how hard it is for a rich man to to enter the kingdom of heaven. And the wheels were turning, and they were thinking, hmm, hmm. If a good man, if a smart man, if an energetic man who knows how to turn a buck, if a self-supporting man and not a leech on society finds it very hard to enter the kingdom of God, then who of any of us has this And Jesus replied, what is impossible with men is possible with God. Luke 18, verse 27. People who love themselves and their own achievements can be saved. They can be saved. Not because of who and what they are, but because of God's grace. They have no humility before God in themselves. And so what does God do? He humbles them. If humility is a prerequisite to salvation and they don't have any humility, then God has to bring them to the place of humility. Solomon wrote this, The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but He blesses the house of the righteous. He mocks proud mockers, but gives grace to the humble. Proverbs 3, verse 33 and 34. The mocking of mockers is God's way of saying, you think you're hot stuff. I'll show you that you're not so hot. I give grace to the humble. After King Nebuchadnezzar had been reduced to a beast in the field by God and restored seven years later because of his arrogance... From the lips of Nebuchadnezzar himself he says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, that was him, those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Daniel 4 verse 37. You remember that it was Nebuchadnezzar who walked out on his balcony looking over Babylon the city and said, is this not the great Babylon which I have created by my own might and for my glory? And God said, oh yeah, and reduced him to a beast grazing in the fields for seven years. The psalmist in rehearsing some of Israel's history mentions that God Blessed them with fertile soil and land for cities and they prospered greatly. It says he blessed them and their their numbers greatly increased and he did not let their herds diminish. And then, then their numbers decreased and they were humbled by oppression, calamity and sorrow. He who pours contempt on nobles made them wander in a trackless waste. Psalm 107. Verse 38 through 40. Note the means by which God humbled Israel. Oppression, calamity, sorrow, contempt of nobles. These are all little matters for God to perform. He knows how to bring proud men low. In Psalm 44, we learn that God stopped protecting his arrogant people. We read, but now you have rejected and humbled us. You no longer go out with our armies. You made us retreat before the enemy and our adversaries have plundered us. You gave us up to be devoured like sheep and have scattered us among the nations. Psalm 44, verse 9 through 11. Wow, wow, that'll change your attitude real quick. You think you've you got this great army and that you can never fail. And... Let me say it this way. God is doing us good to humble us. How so? Because humility is the prerequisite to salvation. David says that too in 2 Samuel 22, verse 28. You save the humble, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them low. You save the humble. In Psalm 147... The psalmist writes, Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. The Lord sustains the humble, but He casts the wicked to the ground. Psalm 147, verse 5 and 6. Or again, for the Lord takes delight in His people. He crowns the humble with salvation. Let the saints rejoice in this honor and sing for joy on their bed. Psalm 149, verse 4 and 5. Salvation is for the For the humble. Zephaniah the prophet encourages us saying, Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land. You who do what he commands. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. Perhaps you will be sheltered on the day of the Lord's anger. Zephaniah 2 verse 3. And James assures us that we will be sheltered from God's fierce anger and wrath. Look at verse 9 of our text. Grieve, mourn, wail, change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will lift you up. James 4 verse 9 and 10. It reads very similar. Verse 6. He gives us more grace. That is good. That's good. And that is why the scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace, and may I say saving grace, to the humble. So none of us have it, but that's what we need. Pride, that pride is one of those sins that we have to turn away from. But we're not going to turn away from it, that's who we are. So the Lord knows how to humble us. Now then, secondly, in our outline, how do we obtain humility? Well, we noted earlier that humility is what we all need, but none of us have. So ever since the fall, Adam and his posterity think of themselves as hot stuff. Pride just oozes from our pores. Paul says, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. But rather think of yourself with a sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given you. Romans 12 verse 3. But you see, that's the essence of pride. Namely, that we do think of ourselves more highly than we ought. How then will we ever acquire the humility necessary to solicit the salvation of God? First answer is by acquiring the wisdom of God, which is His gift. Who is wise and understanding among you, the scripture says, let him show, show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. James 3, verse 13, just one chapter before. The wisdom, the humility rather, that comes from wisdom. And we know that James is not advocating the wisdom of men because in context. He goes on to say, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom, and he puts that in quotes, does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven, that's the wisdom he's talking about, is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, notice the next word, submissive. Submissive. Isn't one of the traits of the proud that they do not submit to anyone? But the wisdom that comes from above teaches us to be submissive. Full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. James 3, 14 through 18. The source of humility is the wisdom of God, which, as we have already noted, comes from God as His gift. Solomon put it this way, For the Lord gives wisdom, and from His mouth come knowledge and understanding. Proverbs 2, verse 6. This was stunningly demonstrated in the life of Daniel. When no one in Nebuchadnezzar's administration could interpret his dream and he threatened execution of all the counselors, including Daniel. And so Daniel solicited the prayers of his friends that night. And we read, During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are His. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings. He deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. Daniel 2 verse 19 through 22. Now a skeptic listening to that might say something like this. Well, Daniel just told Nebuchadnezzar what he wanted to hear. Nebuchadnezzar was happy, he didn't know any better, so on. But Nebuchadnezzar was prepared for such trickery if you read the context. His edict was that not only must the counselor interpret the dream, he must tell the king the dream he had. Which Daniel did. Nebuchadnezzar. He did, Nebuchadnezzar did not say, Okay, come all here, all you wise men. Now here's the dream I had last night. I saw this and then that and that. Now tell me what it means. Now, he, he, suspected, <laughs> he suspected there might be trickery. So he summoned them and he said, here's the, here's, the, here's the condition. You tell me the dream I had. And then secondly, you tell me what the dream means. And Daniel was able to do that. Well, the next accusation might be that Daniel took credit for such wisdom. But when Nebuchadnezzar asked Daniel if he could tell the dream, this is what Daniel replied. Listen to this. No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But... There is a God in the heavens. I love this. There's a God in the heavens who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you lay on your bed are these. And then he explained the dream that Nebuchadnezzar saw and explained the meaning. Daniel 2 verse 27 and 28. We were learning in the adults class this morning that one of the things of humility is that whatever we have and whatever accomplishments we are able to do, the praise goes back to God. Daniel did the same. He expressed the humility that comes from the wisdom of God. God, not himself, was credited for knowing the dream and the interpretation. Now contrast that to what Paul says about the proud heart. We know that all possess knowledge, says Paul. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know. The man who loves God is known by God. 1 Corinthians 8, the first three verses. We call these people know-it-alls. Because no one can teach them anything, not even God. They have no time for God. God, yeah, He's analyzed and criticized and departmentalized and dissected and categorized and pigeonholed and labeled as non-essential. They do not answer to God, God answers to them. And when God does not fit their preconceived ideas about Him, they jettison the notion of God altogether because He doesn't fit with their thinking. You know, proud people shortchange themselves. They do. They could really come into wisdom but their arrogance will not allow them to do so. Good and upright is the Lord, says the scripture. Therefore, therefore, He instructs sinners in His ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them His way. Psalm 25 verse 89. To know the way of God is, wow, that's wisdom. Solomon says, A prudent man sees danger and takes refuge, but the simple keeps going and he suffers for it. Humility and the fear of the Lord bring wealth and honor and life. Wow. In the paths of the wicked lie thorns and snares but he who guards his soul stays far from them. Proverbs 22, verses 3 through 5. The wisdom of God brings what? Wealth, honor, and most importantly, life. Eternal life. James put it this way. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him, show, let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from Wisdom. James 2 verse 13. Those gifted with godly wisdom do not wait for God to judge their pride and bring them low. They humble themselves. When King Shishak of Egypt came against Jerusalem, God sent a prophet saying, You have abandoned me. Therefore, I now abandon you to Shishak. The leaders of Israel and the king humbled themselves and said, The Lord is just. When the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, this word of the Lord came. Since they have humbled themselves, I will not destroy them, but will soon give them deliverance. My wrath will not be poured out on Jerusalem through Shishak. 2 Chronicles 12, verse 5-7. through When they humbled themselves, God relented of His judgment. If men knew the God of the Bible they would fear Him. and They would humble themselves before Him. Humility is the fruit that blooms on the root of knowing God and without it there is everything to fear for God is opposed to the proud but dispenses grace to the humble as He did here with Jerusalem. You want to be saved? You want to come to know the salvation of the Lord, you must be a humble person. If you're not humble, you have to humble yourself to begin to think upon the wisdom of God, and that will bring you low. Secondly, humility is obtained by putting on the mind of Christ. Paul told the believers of Colossae, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9. Similarly, we read in our meditation, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be held on to, but he made himself nothing. Taking the form, the very nature of a servant, and being made in human likeness being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Philippians 2, verse 3 through 8. Let me ask something. Was Jesus diminished by such humility? Was he diminished by such humility? Did he lose out by becoming a man and by serving sinners through his death? Now the text goes on to say, Therefore God exalted Him to the highest place and gave Him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Philippians 2, verse 9 through 11. It's similar to the principle Jesus taught His disciples. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus lived it out before he gave it out. Psalm or Matthew 23, verse 12. You and I and all of mankind have but two choices. We have two choices. You can strut around flexing your pride and credentials like a rooster on the farm that ends up in the farmer's pot, his roaster. Or choice number two, you can seek God's wisdom. You can humble yourself before him and plead for mercy on the merit of Jesus Christ and escape the fires of hell with life everlasting as God lifts you from judgment to glory. God is not going to tolerate pride in any of us. Salvation is for the humble. None of us have humility. Humility comes from knowing God, the wisdom of God. It's where we need to start. So what's going to be for you? What will it be? The proud rooster thumbing his nose before the farmer? Or is it going to be one who humbles himself and pleads for mercy before the Creator? The Creator. Paul said to the Corinthian church we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account of what we have done while here in the flesh, whether good or evil. We must all stand before Him. I'm not going to stand before Him. Yes, you will. Every tongue will confess that He's, I'm not going to say He's my Lord. Yes, you will. One way or the other. One way or the other. I hope it's through humbling yourself coming to God through Christ in saving faith. Father, send your Spirit upon us. We're such a proud lot. Even we who know you, we, we struggle with this sin of pride all the time because it is the base sin that feeds everything else. In Christ, we have the model of one who, although existing with God, Shoulder to shoulder, not diminished in any way. Emptied himself, the scripture says. And took upon himself the likeness of human flesh. Became a servant. Obedient son to the Father. All the way to the cross. Why? For the sake of us, who are full of pride and arrogance. We never think of humbling ourselves like that. The disciples couldn't even think about washing one another's feet. That was too menial a task for them. But Jesus did so for them to again teach them, hey, salvation is for the humble, and the humble have to relate to one another in these ways. Lord, for any of us sitting here this morning or out in TV land on the internet who are full of pride, full of arrogance, Think that they're going to call God into account. Help them to see today, this morning, it is God who is their creator and Lord. Their position is one of creature, and creature does not dictate to God. Creature submits to God or pays the consequences. How wonderful when we do submit because your mercy is extended, your forgiveness of our sins is given. You wipe the slate clean on the mercy of Christ. The blood of Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness and sets us in a solid footing with God and reconciliation with Him. Thank you for that. For any struggling soul this day, may you find them, Lord. May you grant them the faith they don't have, the repentance they need, and the humility that has escaped their life since day one. I pray that you will bring them to a proper position before you. We honor you for who and what you are this day. Thank you for your grace in salvation. Amen.